Well, hey everyone, what is up? Welcome or welcome back to the channel. My name is Austin. This is Gospel Simplicity, and I am so glad that you're here today. Hey, today you're in for a treat, honestly. I think this might be one of the most impactful interviews that you listen to. Today we're starting a a new series on the channel. We're going to be talking about prayer. We're taking a little bit of a break uh, just in this series. We'll still be doing other videos, but between like comparing Catholicism, Orthodoxy, and Protestantism on kind of like a doctrinal level, but we're going to be exploring kind of the spiritual traditions of various groups. So we're going to be talking about the Jesus prayer. We're going to be talking about the Ignatian prayer of examine. Today we're talking with, with not Father, with Dr. Don Whitney about uh, praying the Bible. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. Kind of similar to the practice of Lectio Divina, but this a meditative reading of the Bible and praying through it. I think you're going to love it. I know I did. And at the end, there's a real encouragement to go ahead and try it. And I encourage you do that at the end. First, I just wanted to say, though, before we get to the interview, a real quick thank you so much to my patrons, subscribers, and merch buyers who make this channel possible, especially my patrons. Your monthly generosity not only helps this channel be sustainable, but it grow into exciting and new things. So thank you. Thank you so much. If you want to be a patron, you can do so by using the link down in the description or going to patreon.com slash gospel simplicity. And lastly, I'd like to thank our sponsor today, Kindred. Kindred is a ministry that exists to help people reclaim sacred time with God in their daily lives. And they do this through making these beautiful Bibles that actually are going to align really well with this idea of praying the Bible. They are going to have you read more slowly because of the pictures and the way it's laid out. So if you enjoyed this video and you're looking for maybe a Bible that would help with that, Go to kindredapostle.com and use the promo code GOSPEL10 for 10% off your order. I think you'll really enjoy that combo. In any case, hope you guys enjoy the interview. Dr. Don Whitney is Professor of Biblical Spirituality and Associate Dean at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. In 1987, Dr. Whitney completed a Doctor of Ministry degree at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois, and later a PhD in Theology at the University of the Free State in South Africa. He's the author of several books, including Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, Praying the Bible, and Family Worship. Dr. Whitney is the founder of the Center for Biblical Spirituality, and his website can be found at biblicalspirituality.org. Dr. Whitney, thank you so much for being here today. You're very welcome, Austin. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm delighted to have you, and we'll be starting a uh, bit of a series here on the channel about prayer. And when I came across your book, it was recommended to me, and I was really excited to uh, invite you on the show and for you to come on. And so today we'll be talking about your book, Praying the Bible, in which, well, the title is pretty descriptive. You talk about praying the Bible. But I want to ask you, what inspired you to write this book? Well, strangely enough, when I was pastoring in the Chicago area, um, we had a pastor, uh, a, a guest preacher in for a few days at our church. And in addition to the evening um, uh, gatherings, we had him in the mornings doing a Bible study for any who could come for that. And he was teaching through the letters, uh, the prayers, rather, of uh, the Apostle Paul. And it, it was it was good, but a typical fare in terms of uh, here, here's what this means, and we should pray these prayers today. And that was all pretty normal until at one point he held up his Bible and said, folks, when you pray, use the prayer book. And it just dawned upon me that not just the prayers in the Bible we could pray, but we could pray the whole Bible. And so I've, I've done that basically uh, almost every day since the 1st of March, 1985. And as time went on, I discovered that uh, 
you know, countless others in the church had done this. Uh, and in fact, this was a, a biblical practice. Uh, Jesus twice prayed Psalms from the cross, Acts 4.23, where they prayed in the place was shaken, it says. The early church prayed the Psalms. George Mueller, considered by many, you know, one of the greatest men of prayer and faith in the history of the church, prayed the Psalms. In fact, his prayer life, he says, was transformed. The, the prayer life of George Mueller that we really know uh, came about after he learned to pray the Bible. He, he would pray maybe an hour, half an hour, an hour, he said, before breakfast, trying to pray. He said, trying to pray. His mind would wander, be all over the place. He would struggle, but he would stay with it, he said, until he began to get into the spirit of prayer, he called it. We might say until he felt like praying. And only then, he said, did he begin to pray. But after he learned to pray the Bible, he said, uh, I scarcely ever suffer as I did before. Wow, that's that's beautiful. I remember reading some about him in a Christian missions class and being just very taken aback by uh, his life and witness. And I love that you can tie the the history of this book back to a specific sermon. And it's just you know a, a brief aside. What a powerful thing that is that a sermon could transform someone's life in this way. Um, I think that's just really encouraging for people out there listening that might be uh, teachers, preachers, um, to know that, you know, something that they might be teaching that maybe they're not even completely happy with, maybe they weren't able to prep as much as they wanted that week, uh, could really impact people. And then the impact it has on them could impact so many others like it has for you being able to write this book. Um, so that, that's a really beautiful testimony there. Yeah, it's, uh, of course, the Lord can take planned and unplanned things that we preach. And, and thankfully he does, uh, because when someone preaches, they have a variety of needs represented in front of them and there's no way they could uh, try to address them all. Uh, John Piper has a famous illustration where, uh, one Sunday morning, there was a couple in his church who had discovered just before church that, uh, there, I don't remember if it was one or two daughters had been molested for years by a, a family member. And they were just, you know, absolutely devastated. And, and they came to church that morning. He preached on Isaiah 6. And they came up and just fell upon him later as they told the story and said, if you had preached on anything else this morning, I don't think we could have made it and how much this helped them. And Piper said, if I knew of their situation, and I had prepared to preach just to them, I never would have preached on Isaiah chapter 6. So uh, the Lord is able to take things like that and use them in, in ways, you know, praise God, we, we could never anticipate. But just what happened to me in, in that statement about praying the Bible, Austin, I can say that except for the gospel itself, in all the things I ever teach, uh, when I teach on praying the Bible, that, that seems to be the most instantaneously and permanently transformational thing uh, I ever do uh, or, or preach on. When I, when I teach on this, I will teach for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, then give people a chance to try it. And once they try it, people come back and often their prayer life is never the same. And, and every week I get comments, emails, testimonies. People say, uh, you taught this in our church 10 years ago. And I'm still doing this every day. And I love to hear those kinds of things about permanent transformation from such a simple concept. Wow, that's 
what a gift that must be to get to hear those stories and get to teach these things to so many really people. Is. And Lord willing, I hope that will be the, the story of some people who listen to this interview uh, anytime in the future. Amen. And so, you know, I think prayer is this interesting thing. As Christians, we all have this sense, like we've known from the beginning of our Christian life, it's something we should do. But yet, almost as ubiquitous as that feeling of we should be doing it, I think is a feeling for a lot of people that they're not quite satisfied in their prayer life. They, they know they should be, but they feel like they're not getting out of it what they want. And, you know, even in that story of George Mueller, that idea of having to work himself up to prayer so that he, he could feel like praying, I think a lot of people will resonate with that feeling like mm-hmm. their prayer life just it isn't as maybe satisfying or meaningful as, you, as they might want. And so I want to ask, why do you think this is? And just kind of to start the conversation, what would you say to someone who is feeling guilty about not enjoying prayer or not praying enough or just being unsatisfied with their prayer life? First of all, I don't think I've ever known anyone who is satisfied with their prayer life. And I don't expect to hear from anyone who says that, at least anyone I would admire for for their godliness. Just because there's that always, you know, the the already and not yet sort of idea. Jonathan Edwards talked about anticipating heaven, and the the clog was the term he used. That when he worships God, no matter how rapturous the worship experience is, there's always sort of a clog in his soul that that prohibits him from fully venting, fully expressing what he would like to do in the worship of God, that somehow something is just keeping him from uh, uh, fully expressing, more accurately expressing, thoroughly expressing what he is uh, feeling and, and wanting to say to God, and that in heaven that clog would be removed. So I, th- I think in the best of prayer lives, I think a a person is going to sense that, that my prayer life on its best day could be even better. And I think ultimately that's our longing to see the Lord and see his face. But in more mundane sense, yeah, I think people uh, are frustrated in prayer, bored in prayer even, and uh, that doesn't have to be that way. Also, we shouldn't beat ourselves up too much in that because in the body, we're going to have ups and downs. We're going to have days where we go to pray and we've been up half the night with a sick child or, or just for whatever reason, it's a dark, cloudy day and, and, and so forth. And other times, uh, there are circumstances that make it, make it easier. And so because we are emotional beings and affected by circumstances and many other things, our, our feelings in prayer may be up or down on a given day, and uh, we acknowledge that, yeah, we're, we're beings that have feelings, and uh, uh, we we can aspire toward good things. We're not satisfied with being bored and just think prayer's routine and just go through the motions. Uh, so what I'm saying is I think it's normal for people to feel somewhat unsatisfied and to realize they will never be fully satisfied. And I don't think they should, um, in the sense you may feel like your Christian life is going well right now, but is there no sin in your life you would like to, you know, see more thoroughly cleansed? Well, yeah. So, um, but getting to just real life daily prayer now, I think a lot can be done for most people so that prayer is much more satisfying than it is now. There are days when it will be like medicine 
you know you pray because you know it's right, you know it's good, you know it's the will of God, you know you need to. And then there are other days it's like dessert. You know, you, you can't wait to pray. You, you want to linger in prayer. Uh, and I think if, if a person's daily experience is always negative, it's always boring. Um, if they're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, uh, I think there's much that can be done to minimize that. I think that's going to be really helpful for people to hear that idea that, hey, you know, all of us, like, you're not alone if you're feeling unsatisfied in this. And at that unsatisfaction, in a way, you know, it points towards that ultimate fulfillment we'll one day have, but also that there is, you know, meaningful, there are meaningful things that they can do to have more satisfaction. And so I'm excited to dig into that a bit here. But on, along a similar line, I do want to address, uh, you know, something else that people might be feeling. And that is, you know, in addition to being unsatisfied with their prayer lives, I think many people think that there's like two classes of people. There's those prayer warriors, that, that term we sometimes throw out, who are capable of hours of prayer every day. And then they think, well, then there's normal people like them who could never hope to have such a meaningful prayer life. But nevertheless, they press on because they know they're supposed to pray, so they keep doing it, but they think, you know, I'll never be good at this. I'll never be like those people. What would you say to people who might look at you as a professor of biblical spirituality and author of, you know, books on spiritual disciplines and prayer and say, look, like, hey, this seems great for Dr. Whitney and, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's good and all, but I'm just not one of those people. I'm not wired that way. How would you respond to that? Well, I'd say, first of all, if they knew me as well as God knew me, they wouldn't be very impressed. Uh, but second, I think that sense of I'm not a prayer warrior like other people and something's just, you know, wrong with me. I'm a, I guess I'm just a second rate Christian. I think that's almost universal, especially when it comes to prayer, because people will think, you know, I, I've, I've tried many things. I've heard sermons on prayer, I've read books on prayer, I've gone to conferences on prayer and I go back to prayer, remotivated, revitalized. But basically it's saying the same old things about the same old things, but with just a little more oomph behind it for a while. And of course, very soon that, that evaporates away and they think, well, here I am again, right back where I was before. And I guess it's just me. Something's wrong with me. I'm not that kind of Christian. I'm a second rate Christian and other people, the pastor, uh, you know, other people I hear about these great prayer warriors or people with dramatic answers to prayer you know, they're on a different level, and I've tried to get there. I've done everything I know to do. I always end up back where I was before. I'm just not that spiritual. I wish I were, but I'm not. I think that is an almost universal feeling. Yeah, I think... I, I can definitely relate to that. And I think especially in, you know, our evangelical context, they, you know, we do great at, at having these um, emotional mountaintop experiences. I remember, mm -hmm. you know, uh, growing up as a teenager in youth group and we do these, uh, you know, bi-yearly uh, retreats and you'd go and, you know, you'd have this dramatic experience and you'd be so on fire and then you'd come back and, you know, you, you'd be fired up for maybe a week, but then another week goes by and you just haven't yeah. really built in a, a discipline that, that's going to carry you through. And it's like having, you know, this, this shot of energy, but then there, mm. there's not a lot of 
follow through. And yeah, I, I if I can interrupt and, yeah. and say something I should have added a moment ago, I think that's important is if prayer isn't, if a meaningful, satisfying prayer life isn't simple, then really no one can do it. And I base it upon this, this biblical logic. God calls all of us to pray. He, in fact, he commands everyone to pray. Uh, his Holy Spirit causes us to want to pray. You know, the Spirit prompts us, you know, Abba, Father. Uh, we don't merely choose this. Both Romans and Galatians tells us that, uh, tell us that he, uh, he causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. So the Spirit, once we're indwelled by the Spirit, he he gives us this new fatherward orientation, this heavenward orientation. In other words, all those indwelled by the Spirit really want to pray. And so if we're all to pray, and it's not to be frustrating or in vain, it must be fundamentally simple, Austin, because God has people all over the world, right? With, with, with low IQs and high IQs, with very little education, a great deal of education with with uh, very few Christian privileges, we might say. I was on a mission trip once to the bush country of, of uh, Kenya, and not even the pastor had a Bible. And then there are people like probably most everyone watching or listening to this with many Christian privileges. They have access to a Bible-preaching church, most likely. If they don't, they can get on Christian radio, and they can hear Bible teaching on the radio. Uh, every day, even though some of it may not be uh, worth listening to, but there's much there <clears throat> that is. If they can get on the internet, they can hear the best Bible preaching and teaching in the world 24-7, even by people who are dead. And there are Christian bookstores out there. Many of the churches that uh, of those watching this, they can get Christian books right there in their own local church. And if they can't, and there's not a Christian bookstore nearby, if they can get on the internet, they can have almost any Christian book they want in their hands in 30 seconds with, with a Kindle or, uh, or iBooks. And so, and everyone watching this has all those Christian privileges, but there are people at the other end of the spectrum. And, and my point is, but God calls us all to pray. And therefore, if if you, and I mean every person watching or listening to this, can't have a meaningful, satisfying prayer life with all of these Christian advantages, then what about the person in the middle of China, in the middle of India, in the Sudan, who has none of your Christian privileges? Are you prepared to say those people can't have a meaningful, satisfying prayer life? because they don't have your privileges? No, I don't think anyone watching this would say that. They'd just say, look, I, frankly, I don't know about people in India. I don't know about people in China. I don't even know where the Sudan is. I just know that for me, when I pray, frankly, it's boring. So I guess I'm just a second-rate Christian. In fact, now that you put it like that, <laughs> that with all my Christian advantages, I still don't have a meaningful, satisfying prayer life. I'm worse off than I thought. You know, I'm not a second-rate Christian. I'm a third-rate Christian. Boy, thanks, Austin, for putting this guy on here. You know, I felt bad enough about my prayer life before watching this. Now I feel even worse. No, I, I wanted to emphasize that because to, to bring out the biblical logic that if God calls all of us to enjoy Him in prayer, and yet we have all these dramatic differences among us all over the world. 
It must be fundamentally simple. No one should have to go to seminary to learn how to pray. No one should have to have a great education or be brilliant or have a plethora of Christian resources. I would contend all they need is the Holy Spirit and the Bible. And they can have a meaningful, satisfying prayer life. Thank you for that. I think that's really important. And I think for many people, there's going to be a temptation to make prayer more complicated perhaps than it is. And I know, you know, as a theology student, that's a temptation with almost everything in our spiritual life is to endlessly analyze these things. And I'm not discouraging people from, you know, doing good intellectual work, but I think we can allow that to block us from really allowing us to have these meaningful prayer lives. And so I do want to turn the corner a bit into, you know, we've outlined this problem and it's where you start your book with the chapter called The Problem. And we we recognize, hey, you know, all of us can relate to this sense of we're, we're unsatisfied with our prayer life. We feel like we could go deeper, even though we have all these great resources, or even though maybe we've experienced it at like mountaintop moments, but inevitably, it, you know, we, we kind of, uh, it dies out a bit and we, we run out of steam. So I, I want to ask, you know, um, in your book, after setting up the problem, you offer praying scripture as a solution to a mundane prayer life. And you've mentioned this a bit, but how have you seen this work out in your own life? I mean, clearly this has been very meaningful for you, but could you speak a little more to that? Yeah, as I've said, I've done this in some form or another, to some length or another, virtually every day of my life since the 1st of March, 1985. And I can say that there's nothing in all my devotional life that more quickly or, or consistently kindles my consistently cold heart in prayer, like praying the Bible. I almost never feel like praying when I go to pray. But God said to Jeremiah, is not my word like a hammer and a fire? It's like a hammer that that breaks cold hearts. It's like a fire that melts cold hearts. God says his word is like a fire. And I can take the fire of God's word and plunge it into my cold heart. And more often than not, I, I soon begin to feel like praying. If a person got up, let's say, at 7 in the morning, went to prayer, they don't feel like praying, well, cheer up. You're normal. Uh, you know why I don't feel like praying? You're sleepy. You've been dead to the world for the last six or seven hours. We don't wake up with our hearts instantly on fire for the things of God. I mean, my goodness, I run into door frames when I get up uh, in the morning. But the good news is we are not subject to those feelings. We can take the fire of God's word and plunge it into our cold hearts. And if there's anything that can warm our hearts and move them so that we we begin to feel like praying, it's the fire of God's word. And it's so simple. Anyone can do that. We just have to be intentional about turning to the word of God when we turn to pray. I love that. The the efficacy of the word of God and the power of it. And I think uh point of Jeremiah there was was really, really great. You know, there's a section in your book that I found really interesting. When I first read it, I uh, I was taken aback for a second. I was imagining as a, a Moody student being assigned this. And so you mentioned this seemingly daunting assignment you give to your students at Southern. They have to spend four consecutive hours alone with God. How have your students responded to this discipline of, you know, reading the Psalms and the different ways you have them incorporate that? And uh, what what kind of fruit have you seen in their lives from that? Also, I'd also like to know, yeah, how do they, uh, what do they say when you you tell them that this is their assignment? 
Well, they kind of gulp at first, you know, like, what am I going to do for four hours? But, you know, I, I've taught this class maybe a hundred times in uh, the last quarter century. And uh, they have to report about their experience in a journal. The majority of them say they spent more than four hours, not because they had to. They found themselves enjoying it so much they didn't want to stop. I give them a general outline. If I don't do that, a lot of them, if they set their own schedule, okay, I'm going to read the Bible for an hour and a half. I'm going to write in my journal for an hour. You know, whatever. And they, they're, they're set like three hours sitting in a chair. Well, you know, that becomes tedious. So I, I give them an outline that, that has them maybe getting up, walking while they pray, uh, playing an instrument if they do that in, in worship, um, so that there's a bit of, variety in terms of posture and everything else. I'll tell them if, if any posture or activity becomes tedious, change it. Because if this doesn't turn out to be the most refreshing assignment in your academic career, one of us messed up. Either I didn't explain it clearly enough or you didn't understand it. Because I want this to be so refreshing that you'll want to continue beyond four hours. And more importantly, you want to continue this practice after seminary. I choose four hours because that's a morning, that's an afternoon. A person could start in the morning at generally their regular start time, go until lunch, then have lunch with someone, or you know, then have their regular afternoon. Or they could spend the uh, mornings preparing to preach and then have lunch with someone, then the rest of the afternoon could be spent alone with God in this way. So that's something that I hope they will continue. But the, the heart of that four hours for most is to meditate on scripture, and to pray the Bible. And in my class, the two things I spend the most time on are praying the Bible and meditation on scripture. To get a little off script here, the two most important personal spiritual disciplines are the intake of the word and prayer. And in that order, for it's more important for us to hear from God through his word than for God to hear from us in prayer. But with both of these most important personal spiritual disciplines, I think there's an almost universal problem. We've already said that in prayer, the almost universal problem is we tend to say the same old things about the same old things, and that's that can be boring pretty quickly. With the intake of the God of God's word, it looks like this: that people will read their Bible, and and I'm talking about this as a problem with those most committed to the reading of the Word of God. Every day they try to read a chapter, maybe three chapters, but as soon as they close their Bible, if pressed, they would have to admit, I don't remember a thing I've read. I've forgotten it all. And like we said a moment ago, with prayer, people tend to think, well, I guess it's just me. There's something wrong with me. I never had a good memory. I'm losing what memory I did have. I never had a high IQ. I never had a good education. That's why I don't remember what I read in the Bible. I'm just second rate, I guess. All those things may be true, but that's not why most people don't remember what they read in the Bible. My contention is it's because they don't meditate on anything they've read. Reading is the exposure to Scripture, and that's the starting place. But meditation is the absorption of Scripture. And it's the absorption of Scripture that leads to the experience with God and the transformation of life that we long for when we come to the Scripture. And my contention is most people just don't do that. It's not that they can't. They just don't. 
people say, well, I, I can't because, you know, you don't understand. I'm a, I'm a full-time student, a podcaster, and have a job, or I'm a single parent, or I'm working 80 hours a week, and, you know, I, I can't do more. I'm, I'm reading the Word every day, but I can't do more. I get that. If you only have 10 minutes, I get that. Don't read for 10 minutes. Read for five minutes. Meditate for five minutes. Far better to leave that time having since you've met with God, you've got something you can remember and therefore meditate on day and night, as the Bible says, than read more and remember nothing. So I, if, I think meditation is the single greatest devotional need of most Christians. And if it were them, within my power to change the devotional life of every Christian on the planet, it would be meditation on Scripture. So back to that four-hour assignment. During that four hours, most of the time is split between meditation on Scripture and, and I teach them a lot of different ways to meditate on Scripture. They meditate and they pray. And I encourage them to walk as they pray the Bible. And if they schedule 30 minutes, but they're really enjoying it, it's a beautiful day, continue it for an hour and 30 minutes if you want, as long as it's edifying and, and a blessing. And I'll kind of pull that together with this, to pray the Bible which is the subject of our conversation right now, that is also a method of meditation. So of the many methods I teach on Scripture, when a person prays the Bible, they look at the text, they think about it, they talk to God about it, they look at it again, think about it some more, talk to God about it, they're meditating on Scripture. That's simple. What I just described may take 30 seconds or a minute. That's not long. But Austin, do you realize that that one minute may be 30 times longer than they would normally look at that verse while just reading it? It may take them two seconds to read that verse, two seconds to read the next verse, two seconds to read the next verse. I maintain that you can have a thousand two-second passes over the Word of God, close it and not remember a single one of them. And that's normal. But that after you're reading, come back and meditate on one of those verses. And one of the ways to meditate is, is to pray the Bible. I love that. And, you know, I can relate. And I know so many people are going to be able to relate to that idea of, hey, I, I've started this discipline of I'm going to read the Bible every morning and I'm doing it. And then we realize, you know, I'm, I'm reading it and that's great. And I... You know, if someone's just starting that, like, hey, like, I'm so glad you started doing that. That's it's a fantastic thing. Um, but, but so often we, you know, it's, you know, we read, we eat our breakfast, we finish our breakfast or whatever. And if someone asks you, like, oh, you know, what did you read this morning? It'd be, um, I know I was reading yeah. in Luke, and it was something, yeah. about something. But, yeah. um, and I'll say just as a as an anecdote, that was one of the. You know, Moody is, is such a special community in so many ways, but I remember one of the most uh, things that just had a real impression on me was there was a guy from my floor that every day at lunch, he would sit down and he would ask people, so like, what, what did you read today? And what did you get from that? And it really, you know, not in like this uh, beat you over the head with it, but just kind of like this community accountability of like, man, and like, uh, 
I know I read, but what was it that I read? And it forces you to slow down and, and to read in these ways. But I, I want to press in a little more so people can get specific here, uh, because I think people are going to be saying, okay, like, if you're telling me I can get more out of my devotional life, I'm in. Because I really think for most Christians, it's not a matter of they don't want to have a more meaningful time with God in the morning or whenever they do it. They want it, but they're just not sure how, and, you know, mm-hmm. they they feel so pressed on time. Like you said, I've only got 10 yeah. minutes. I'm doing my best, um, but, but it can be better. And you've pointed that yeah. a little bit. But, you know, I think it, it might sound easy. Like I said, the, the title of the book, you know, it's, it's very descriptive. And for many people, it might sound self-explanatory. Pray the Bible. Okay. Like, I know how to pray. I know what the Bible is. Put those things together. But I also think a lot of people aren't going to be exactly sure, like, how to start that. So could you, could you I guess, explain what that is? And then yeah. there's, you know, always a chance of running into unforeseen challenges. So having practiced this and taught this to others, what are some potential pitfalls to this approach? Or what, what are some misunderstandings you've seen people have? Let me illustrate it in a well-known passage. So what would this look like in real life? In real life, maybe you, you read your Bible, and then you finish your Bible reading and say, okay, now I'm going to pray. And um, and by the way, let me back up a step. I, my general rule for people and just in, in terms of helpfulness for their intake of the Bible every day is, is this. Read big, meditate small. Read a big section, like a whole chapter, three chapters. After that reading, come back and and meditate small on one verse, one phrase from that reading. I think we need the the reading of large sections of Scripture to get the meta narrative of the Bible, to use a theological term there, to to get the context, and then come back and meditate on one particular passage in which, you know, we, we go deeper, we apply it. I, I compare the two. Reading the Bible is like going across a lake in a motorboat. You get the big picture. You know, I've got trees on this side of the lake. I've got rocks on this side of the lake. The lake narrows a bit up ahead. There's a beach at the far end of the lake. Motorboat view gives, gives me that. Meditation is like going across that same lake in a glass-bottomed boat. You see depth, clarity, detail. You don't get in the motorboat view. If you're going to understand the lake, you need both. You need the big picture, context, the big story, but we also need application and insight. And so that's why I said, if you only have 10 minutes, don't read for 10 minutes. Read for five, meditate for five. You've done the the, the big reading. Now we're going to meditate small. And so one of the ways of doing that, you might read over in Luke, as you said, and then you say, now I'm going to pray. And this, this prayer time could also be meditational scripture. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to pray from a, one of the Psalms. And incidentally, I think the Psalms are the easiest place in scripture from which to pray scripture. And so I've decided to pray from the Psalms, and I've chosen the 23rd Psalm, and I go to pray, and it looks something like this. You read, the Lord is my shepherd. And you pray something like, Lord, I thank you that you are my shepherd. You're a good shepherd. And you have shepherded me all of my life. But, oh, great shepherd, would you shepherd me in this decision about my future? Do I make this change or do I not? Do I go in this direction or not? Shepherd me, Lord. Lord, would you shepherd my family today? Guide them into the ways of God. Guard them from the ways of the world. Lead them not into temptation. Deliver them from evil. And, 
Lord, I pray you would cause my family to be your sheep too. May they love you as their shepherd, as I love you as my shepherd. And Lord, would you shepherd those at our church, the under shepherds at our church. Please shepherd them as they shepherd us. And whatever comes to mind when you read, the Lord is my shepherd, that's what you talk about. And very simply, when nothing else comes to mind, you go to the next line. I shall not want. Lord, you might pray, I think I've never really been in want. I haven't missed many meals. All that I have, all that I am is from you, Lord. And yet I know it pleases you that I bring my desires to you. So, Lord, would you provide those finances that we need for school, for that car, for those bills? Or maybe you know someone who is in want and you pray for that person. And then... When you can't think of anything else, you go to the next line. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And frankly, Austin, what may come to mind is, Lord, I pray somehow you'd enable me to lie down and take a nap today. Now, you know, you've probably had someone here before to talk about hermeneutics. That's incredibly important. Uh, And if you want, I can explain how that's okay. What I just pray that verse has nothing about taking a nap, but that's what came to mind is I saw the word lie down. Oh, I'd like to lie down and take a nap. And then the idea about the green pastures reminds you of the feeding of God's flock and the green pastures of his word. And so you think of someone who feeds your soul and the green pastures of God's word, and you pray for him. When was the last time you prayed for a Bible study teacher? Or, or pastor, or your, a ministry that you have of feeding God's flock in the green pastures of his word. And quite simply, you go through it line by line, talking to God about whatever comes to mind until either A, you run out of time, or B, you run out of psalm. <laughs> and if you're like one of my students with four hours, if you run out of psalm before you run out of time, you just turn the page and go to the next one. And by doing that, number one, you never run out of anything to say. You can pray for four hours if you wanted to. You just keep turning the page. You never run out of anything to say. But best of all, this takes us back to to the problem. Our problem is we tend to say the same old things about the same old things. That tends to be boring. And when prayer is boring, you don't feel like praying. If you don't feel like praying, it's hard to pray. When you pray the Bible, you never again say, the same old things about the same old things. Now, praying about the same old things, that's not the problem. Our lives tend to consist pretty much of the same old things, right? From day to day, they don't dramatically change. And if I somehow had the power to ask your viewers, I want you all go out and pray for 10 minutes. Now let's come back together and talk about it. They would all pray pretty much about the same six things. Their family, some broad general sense or another, singles might pray to be married, you know, some, some family-related prayer. Your future, some decision that's before you, your finances, your work or schoolwork for full-time students, your church, ministry, some Christian concern you have, and the current crisis in your life. Well, those six things pretty much are your life. I mean, how much of your life has no connection whatsoever to your family, your future, your finances? your work or school work, your church, ministry, Christian concern, and the current crisis. And since those things don't change dramatically very often, and and that's your life, basically, when you go to pray about your life every day, you're pretty much going to pray about the same six things 
That's not the problem. The problem is we tend to say the same old things about the same things. And that's boring. When prayer is boring, you don't feel like praying. If you don't feel like praying, it's hard to pray. When you pray the Bible, you don't say the same old things about the same old things. You pray about the same old things generally, but you don't say the same old things. If I pray through Psalm 23 and pray for my family, my future finances, and if I go over to Psalm 24, I don't pray the same way, even though I pray about the same things. So let me give you an example. Uh, we open every class here at the seminary with, with prayer and scripture reading. But basically, the prayer is pretty much the same prayer. Lord, please bless this class. How many ways can you think of to pray, bless the class? Especially when you pray it every day, several times a day. Well, I open my classes by praying through one of the Psalms of the day. And we can talk about what those are if you want to. But uh, I, I pick one of the five Psalms of the day, and I pray, bless the class through the words of that particular psalm. So if I pray, bless the class through Psalm 23, it comes out as Lord shepherd us in this class today. If I pray, bless the class through Psalm 51, it comes out as Lord, please forgive us for not always applying our minds to our studies as we ought. Help us to do that today. If I pray, bless the class through Psalm 139, it's Lord, we acknowledge your presence here in Norton 195 today. You're the teacher in this classroom. Please teach us today. Do you see it's the same prayer, bless the class? Yet the same prayer, and I, I want to pray about the same things pretty much every day. When I pray that prayer through a different passage every day, it comes out a different prayer. And Austin, I don't have to think of new ways to say it. I don't have the time or the energy to do that. I don't have to... I, I, I don't have to have any notes. I don't need to remember anything. I just open my Bible and talk to God about what I see there. And every day, it's going to be different. But it's not merely different. That's not what we're after, though that's worth an hour of your time here watching this video. To 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 Now you have different words to pray every day in prayer. But it's way better than that because the words that we are praying, the, these are inspired words. There's a supernatural quality to these words. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are spirit. They are life. These are the words we're praying, not merely different words. And anybody can do that. And back to the hermeneutical thing a moment ago, the Bible tells us to pray about everything, right? So whatever comes to mind when you read a verse, you ought to pray about that anyway. Now, believe me, I'm not advocating playing fast and loose with the scriptures and almost every other kind of coming to the Bible I can think of, reading it for understanding, preparing to teach it to other people. Our first priority is what does it say? What does it mean? But with what I'm talking about now, we're not mainly talking about Bible intake. We're talking about prayer. And I, all I'm saying is, as you glance at the Word of God, whatever comes to mind, talk to God about it because you ought to talk to God about it anyway. And I believe as people will do that, their prayers will become far more biblical than they ever would praying without the Bible. As they do this, their prayers will be shaped by the words of the Bible, increasingly by the theology of the Bible. And so I think their prayers will harmonize more with the true meaning of the Bible the more they pray the Bible than otherwise.
That's that's just wonderful. I love so much of that. Thank you for that. I think people are really going to be blessed by this, and I know I am. I I love the analogy of the the boat going across the lake. There it reminds me, and you mentioned at the very beginning of this that you you know when you started digging into this, you realized like, hey, this isn't like a new thing. The church has been doing this for a long time, and it reminds me of that kind of ancient distinction between uh, lectio divina and lectio continua of like the mm-hmm. the different ways of reading scripture, le- reading through lots of it and reading through slowly. And so I think it it's a beautiful thing that hey, here's this like wisdom from the church that like we just like forgot to pick up on for a lot of us or we didn't yeah. didn't realize was in the tradition there but i i also liked what you were saying about the way that i mean this the the words that were coming to my mind is it saturates us in scripture and mm-hmm. you know today there's lots of talk about like, your social imaginary or your worldview and the way that we're so like catechized by our culture and we're thinking through all these different ways, but here we're praying through scripture, really not just like reading it and seeing it and checking it off, but allowing scripture to be our own language to it, shape the way we think and we interact. And I think that's really powerful. And you started to hint at this uh, with the idea of hermeneutics, but I, and the idea of like Jesus words being life. um, But Mm -hmm. I think there's an interesting point here. I think the way we interact with something tells us a bit about what we believe about it. You know, I, me sitting on this chair tells me, like, I, I believe that's an appropriate use of this, and I believe it's sturdy enough to hold me. And Lord willing, that will be true. <laughs> uh, for instance, though, I think also, you know, the way I could listen to uh, a preacher preach, you know, say I listen to Dr. Muller, and it would tell me something about what he believes about Scripture, the way he interacts with it. For us, when, when we're praying the Bible— what does it tell us about our belief about the Bible? How is that even maybe shaping our belief about the Bible? Do you, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. You do what you do in your spirituality because you believe what you believe in your theology. So all I mean, so all spirituality is theologically driven. I just want to be a more consciously, intentionally theologically driven spirituality. And so because of my view of the inerrancy of the Bible and the the inspiration of the Bible, um, I, I believe that uh, there's no better way to pray than to use what Johnny Erickson Tata calls God's language, to speak to him in his language, his own words. And so to let that be the springboard for my prayer, to let his words become the wings of my prayers. And so we're commanded, for example, in first John to pray in accordance with his will. Well, what better assurance can you have? You're praying the will of God than when you're praying the word of God. Now that doesn't mean I can't twist the word of God and use it to attempt to manipulate God to do what I want, but I can have no greater assurance. I'm, I'm guided more and more into God's will when I pray his word than when I pray without the Bible. Yeah, I think that's that's such a, a great way of putting it, that connecting the Word and the will there and praying according to the will of God. And that's really powerful, and I hope people uh, latch onto that and can Now, let me, let me add, lest people misunderstand that this is the only way to pray. No, uh, there, there are times you're just walking down the street and you, you just cry out to God about something. And uh, maybe it's just thank you, Lord, for you know, you know, for such a glorious day. Or maybe it's Lord, please forgive me for that thought I just had. Or someone comes to mind, you pray about something. I'm not saying that every single time you pray, you have to open the Bible and you use a text. I, I'm talking about more of our regular 
you know, daily s- s- schedule time of prayer, if you will, uh, not the spontaneous prayer. So although I think the more we pray the Bible, the more our spontaneous prayers will reflect God's word, and we may use God's word uh, that way. Uh, but also the Bible tells us, let your requests be made known to God. Unless you have some awareness that what you're praying is is against God's will or sinful. He says, let your request be made known to God. All of us probably have things right now. We don't know what God's will is. So on the one hand, the Bible says we must pray in accordance with his will or he will not hear. But there are a lot of things I don't think he reveals his will on. People may try to mystically come up with what the will of God is in something, and I, I don't think that's as discoverable as often as people may think. So on a number of issues, I, I, I just think God doesn't clearly say, this is my will. So your will may be prayed. Lord, I, I like Jesus, you know, if there's any way, let this cup depart from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. So I think we can say, I, I mean, I'm thinking about right now, someone who, who's, who's moving away. And I don't want them to move away. And so I'm saying, Lord, you know, if there's any way, you'll keep them here or bring them back. And I'm free to express that to God as long as I'm submitting to his sovereign will and all that. So um, I'm not saying that every time we pray, we have to have some verse associated with it. I'm, I'm talking about our, our general ongoing daily kind of prayer. That's really helpful. And I'm glad you made that important distinction because yeah, the last thing I would want people to walk away from this is feeling as though like maybe they do have like these meaningful times of prayer with God that are spontaneous and now they're wondering, oh no, is this not according to the will of God? Do I need, like, is this the only way to pray? And I'm really glad yeah. you touched on that because I know that's not what you're saying, um, but it, I think it's important that it, that that's said. Um, so, so thank you for that. You know, as we begin to close out, I want to say, first of all, this has been an absolute privilege and a joy. I think people are really going to benefit from this, and I really am grateful for your time here so. today. I I want to kind of allow you, um, you, you mentioned that the, the Psalms would be the easiest place to start. Mm-hmm. And so, and you mentioned a bit like what this looks like, and you, I really appreciate the way you demonstrated that with Psalm 23, you know, reading, praying, reading, praying, meditating on it in that way. Um I'd like to allow you to kind of close out by giving any other kind of like advice for getting started with this. Then also, mm-hmm. if there's, you know, I'd be remiss to not take advantage of the opportunity of having you here. You've written not only on this, but you've written on uh, spiritual disciplines in general. And I know many people have benefited from your work. So if there's just like a piece of advice in, in general that maybe you've received or you'd love to give to people as well, I would uh, love for you to share that. Yeah, if I, if I can uh, remember all that, um, I think the Psalms are the best place from which to pray Scripture, or the easiest place, because it's the only book of the Bible inspired by God for their very purpose of being reflected to God. All books of the Bible equally inspired, but only one was given by God for the very purpose of being reflected to God. The, the Psalms, of course, were the songbook of Israel. God said, I want you to praise me. You'll want to praise me if you have my spirit, but you don't know how to praise me because I'm invisible to you. You, All you know of me, I, I have to reveal to you. So here, <laughs> sing these songs. Praise me this with these words. This is true praise. I accept this praise. So that's what the Psalms were given for. So that's why I believe the Psalms are the easiest place in Scripture from which to pray Scripture. So often, 
the very words of the Psalms are the words of my heart. Maybe I didn't know it until I went to the Psalm, but I read, How long, O Lord, will I cry and you will not hear? Sometimes that's exactly what I want to say. And so it's easy to pray that. And with 150 Psalms, well, you scan a few and pick one. It's the, the entire range of the human experience is found in the Psalms. In 150 Psalms. I, I recommend scanning 30 seconds through about five Psalms that I call the Psalms of the day and just picking the one that stands out. Let me recommend uh, something that's free to your, your viewers there. It's a, a free app called Five Psalms, and you spell it out, F-I-V-E, Psalms, and it just uh, quickly opens up, uh, automatically opens up to the five uh, Psalms of the day. So as we record this, it's the 27th. It automatically opens up to Psalm 27. Then you flip over to the next one, 57, 87, 117, and 147, and it's free. So uh, a brother read my book on praying the Bible. He's a software developer. He came up with that. So th if you want to use that, you can quickly scan through those five is my point. And just pick the one that stands out. And the benefit of that is it keeps you from going to the same ones all the time. And it also, over time, exposes you to all 150 Psalms. So I think the Psalms is the easiest place because it's the place in the Bible inspired to be reflected to God. The second easiest place would be the New Testament letters. Uh, almost every verse, and I could illustrate that if you wanted me to do that, but there, there's almost every verse prompts something to pray about. There's just such condensed truth there. Um, you know, almost every phrase prompts something to pray about. Then the narrative passages uh, would be a little less easy, but we need to know how to do that because that's the biggest chunk of the biggest genre of scripture in the Bible. But the difference is you have to back up in a narrative and get the big picture. So if you tried to pray through John chapter five, for example, it starts out, uh, now there is a feast, uh, there is a feast of the Jews. At, like, well, uh, <laughs> now what you're going to do is look at all nine verses of that narrative. And with a narrative, you know, you usually have these stage setting verses that lead up to the punchline of the passage. Maybe it's only the punchline you pray about when you pray through a narrative. With a narrative, you pray through the big, broad brush strokes, as opposed to the other passages where, you know, sometimes even between the commas, you have matter for prayer. But once having done this, I'm confident that people can open to any part of their Bible and pray. And when they come to a passage, I didn't mention this, like in the Psalms, you come to an imprecatory Psalm or a passage, you know, I don't even know what this means. I don't know what to do with this. Fine, skip it. If you come to a verse you don't understand, fine, skip it. Go to the next one. Maybe you, you understand the next verse perfectly. Just doesn't prompt anything to pray about. Fine, skip it. There's nothing that says you have to pray over every verse in the passage. It's, that's not necessary. I, I did this one time in a church in California, and a woman prayed 25 minutes and never got past, the Lord is my shepherd. Five words, 25 minutes. I think the Lord was delighted by that. The next day, she may have been in a psalm that had 25 verses, and maybe only five things came to mind to pray. Fine, turn the page. Oh, it's so simple. It's just almost impossible for anyone to mess this up. The newest Christian the most mature Christian, the one who knows the Bible best, the one who knows the Bible least. It's one of the beauties about this. You just open your Bible and talk to God about what's there.
So I, I forget the rest of uh, of your question there. I think something about a, the most helpful tip or something in getting started. Yeah, I mean that was that was fantastic as far. I may have as, covered uh, it so. reading scripture, and I was I just also wanted to let you if there was kind of anything else you wanted to share with people um, before we we wrapped up. I, I didn't want you to feel as though like, hey, there's this piece of advice um, mm-hmm. that, that I'd love to give you uh, that hasn't yeah. been asked about. So if, yeah. if there is that, uh, feel free. Yeah. When I, when I teach on this, I always make sure, no matter whether I have the normal two hours with a break in between or whether I have five minutes, I always give them an opportunity to try it. So typically when I teach this in a church, after about an hour, we take a break, we come back, and I have them try this for seven minutes. In my class on campus, I give them about 20 minutes to walk to campus and pray, but it's seven minutes. And after that seven minutes, most of them are hooked. But if I don't give them time to do it, they walk away going, boy, that's a real good idea. Yeah, I'll have to try that someday. And they never do. But once they try it and see how easy it is, and, and so often they experience God in fresh ways there, they never again say the same old things about the same old things. So what I would encourage those watching this, Austin, is as soon as this is done, turn off your computer, close the lid on your laptop, take a psalm, a favorite psalm, and just try it for seven minutes. And I, I can't urge that enough. When I tell my students, if you ever teach this to anyone else, that's the most important thing. Have them do it right then. Not next week's class. They may not come back next week's class. But have them do it right then. And I, I plead with my listeners. In, in the book, chapter 7 is the shortest chapter. It's two pages. It says, okay, I want you to put the book down now, and I want you to take a psalm and pray through it for seven minutes. You turn the page, and it says, did you do it? Or are you still reading this book? I'm serious. Put the book down and pray. You're reading this book because you want to have a better prayer life, right? Okay, quit reading the book and pray. So that's what I would leave your listeners with. I I urge them to take a favorite psalm and try it as soon as this interview is over. I love that. And I think that's fantastic advice. And I really encourage everyone listening to this, go do it. Go do it. And you uh, you might be marking this day like Dr. Whitney does for March 1st so many years ago. And I hope that is your experience. And I'm going to do it as well after we end here. So thank you so yeah. much for being here, yeah. Dr. Whitney. I want to uh, just allow you real quick to let people know. I'll be leaving links in the description to uh, the book, Praying uh, the Bible, as well as I'll try to leave a link to that app. Um, but if people are interested in learning more about you or your work, where can they go to do that? My website is biblicalspirituality.org. Awesome. Well, thank you. And then, you know, at Don Whitney on Twitter, and I have a Facebook page. So. Awesome. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you're a professor at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So if there's anyone out there uh, thinking and discerning seminary, um, you could uh, go out and visit Louisville, Kentucky campus sometime um, and uh, learn more about what you guys are doing out there. But Dr. Whitney, thank you so much for being here. It has been a true pleasure. I'll end as I always do by saying thanks to all of you that are watching this whenever in the future that might be. I do not take that lightly. I so appreciate you. As always, be on the lookout for more videos, but most importantly, go out and love God and love others because truly above all else, that will change the world. 